Hello, and welcome to Fixing the Broken World of Work podcast with me, Danny Denhard, the founder of Focus.Business. I'm on a mission to fix the broken world of work. We've entered a world where the majority of us have had to work from home and against decades of management conditioning and expert advice, the majority of us made it work. And in some cases, we actually thrived. And now, many see no reason to go back to the old ways of doing things. We're about to embark on shaping the future of work for decades to come through designing what hybrid is going to look like and how we're going to make it happen. The podcast episodes are going to help to equip you to make work better, not just for today, but for the long term, and help to shape the future of work. The guests and I dive into company culture, organisational health, leadership, well-being, and the misunderstood business function that is strategy. Each episode is packed full of actionable advice and tips. So go get your notepad or open up your notes app be inspired to make positive change. Matt, thanks for joining me this morning. I'd love for you to just give an intro to who you are and what you do. Hi, so Matt Roberts. I'm the co-founder of software called Zokri. And Zokri is in the category of OKR software, but also touches on how teams can be more agile and deliver more and achieve growth using lots of management frameworks and best practices. So for example, KPIs are all in there. And what you find out is lots of these things overlap if you're performance managing a business and a company and teams. Something, you know, you and I've spoken quite a few times. You've given me a whiz through the, the software and we've known each other for a number of years. There's a story I don't know that if you want to tell the full story, but there's some inspiration behind setting up Socri and the software. Can you give people like a flavor of why? Because I think that will really help people understand what you're trying to achieve with with the software and how you landed where you've got to. Yeah, so I've been a tech founder for almost a decade now and I exited three or four years ago a company. And as part of that, you learn a lot about what works and a lot about what you know is more challenging as you're scaling a, a company. And there are some sort of universal fundamentals I've noticed throughout all of that time. And... Managing growth is a lot around communications and priorities, for example, and setting the right goals, giving clarity to people on what we want to achieve, and then ensuring that the whole company is having the right conversations at the right time in order to achieve those things. Stops irrelevant things happening, creates learning loops, helps you be more agile, and lots of other sort of growth levers. What I've found is most of the world doesn't do any of these things particularly well i.e. they don't share their long-term plans and mission and visions, particularly where they don't define the culture then or police the culture that they want that would support um, achievement particularly well. It's left just to organically develop. Companies are notoriously bad at actually giving people clarity on what their goals are or allowing people to participate in goal setting. And the weekly workflow cadence prioritization um, systems that people put in place to communicate openly about all of these things are rarely there and that doesn't mean that you're not having a lot of meetings probably meetings you're not probably means on on the most part you're not discussing the right things so the idea of systemizing growth and supporting people with these best practices and making them accessible beyond the spreadsheet and the document which is where for most where they live now has been what we really wanted to do where a company with these systems and processes that just will outperform one that doesn't and employees should be happier they should thrive they should enjoy the transparency and open communication they should 
enjoy the recognition for not their ability to politicize themselves positively inside an org, but the actual output and their ideas and the way they approach work. So people really see the individual, not just what what people perceive an individual is or should be. So yeah, so it's a well-rounded system, but the, you know, the underlying flavor is really sort of growth, the employee and, and communications and conversations and information flow. What I really like about the tool and what you guys are doing is how you're taking goal setting frameworks and from your huge experienced background from being an operator and on the C-suite and applying that into and combining it with a lot of the cultural aspects of work. So like you said, most of your day is in meetings or trying to get stuff done alongside also progressing personally and professionally. And I think that's something that really stood out when we were talking and we did the demo and understanding how you and I are quite aligned on system thinking and helping people to succeed. There's something that most software does that I hate is the blinking. It starts you with a blank template. Years and years ago, you had a template that you basically had to fill out and you knew that if you filled it out properly or in a certain way, you'd be successful. And I think that's something that you guys have done really is enable people to succeed by having very set structures and templates to complete and fill out and chase. Was that Obviously, that was deliberate, but do you have a backstory of how you've got to where you've got to with a lot of this? I think a lot of the, you know, we're benefiting now at a time when teams have experimented with all of this stuff, not for a few years, but for decades. We know, for example, that when goals are set in a particular way, with outcomes, not inputs, that's better than just saying I'm busy. We know that alignment is better than silos. We know that cross-functional teams play a part in success. In the same way, we know that agile workflows and best really support faster delivery, more frequent delivery, um, and are more applicable to the modern world we live in. So practices like the Monday meeting where we declare our priorities for the week ahead. Friday, what are our wins? Or it could be on a Monday, but the idea of priorities and wins is is not, we don't invent any of those, but every team that uses them goes, this really works for us. It makes both our successes highly visible, but also allows us to align around our priorities and communicate openly. There's nothing, when we talk about system thinking, there's nothing rigid or containing within that in a negative sense. It just provides a framework to have good conversations. So... In many ways, we're actually the recipients of a lot of open source knowledge that's been developed around thousands, if not millions of teams where go, when we, the teams that do this tend to perform the teams that are just more organic and do what you like and, and hope for the best. And that it's a loose structure, not a, not, not a heavy structure, but I think it's really helpful. And I think one of the things I've noticed when teams adopt it is it's the best description I've come up with is it's just like putting oxygen into the room. Oh, this is great. We're actually having this conversation. And people often feel stretched and overwhelmed by the all of the things they're trying to do. And, you know, they get calls for their time and demand, you know, new ideas thrown at them all of the time. They don't really have a way of um, approaching all of those demands with the level of critical thinking that will allow them to pick up what's most important and put down what's most irrelevant. So they feel that they do lots of things averagely, for example, or they're trying to do too much, but doing nothing well, or they feel spread thinly. There's lots of ways it gets described to us, but also that what we're trying to do is make work really enjoyable. And a part of that is I just focus on what really matters right now. And I I have a toolkit for not just picking stuff up, but putting stuff down. I find that teams 
certain individuals struggle where it's BAU versus bigger projects and bigger campaigns. I think the more ideas people have, I think we're not, we're in this place where we're never short of ideas. We're never short of things to do. There's not, never not a new channel to work on. There's never not a new project to pick up. I think maybe six years ago, you had very specific sets of work to achieve and you knew that was what your goal was every day. It was basically to work on a campaign or a project or product rollout or initiative. And I think because everything's become uh, campaign-based or chat-based, there's a lot more work to, to go through. And I think that people need guidance. Most teams need guidance when it comes down to, do I prioritize this new thing? Do I prioritize BAU? Or do I prioritize you know, the rocks or the OKRs or whatever framework you use? And I think there's going to be a big, this is awakening that people need to have. And I think technology is one and software is, is the main driver to try and drive that change. There's going to be a lot of resistance when software tells you what you should prioritize. But I think that's the only way really because managers are too busy to manage, let alone lead a team anymore. I always say that you should probably have a captain and a champion within teams. A captain's like the unofficial leader when the when the manager's too busy or heads of department or C-suite are too busy. And they should be the people on the pitch, to use a sports metaphor, to help people guide them and drive them forward. And I think you should have a champion which helps people understand what's important, why they should be doing what they're doing, and where they should where they should take it and help increase their knowledge and improve the knowledge sharing. So software is going to be an answer. I think you have to blend it with people. But a lot of people rely on notifications, on email reminders, on it almost got to a point where we're overly relying on technology and algorithms to tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing. I think we still need people in it. And I think if you're in a place where you need guidance and software should be one that helps you alongside talking through and, and, and having collaboration with with your colleagues, that's that kind of answers your question. But one thing I help businesses with, for instance, is helping teams understand what they should and shouldn't be doing and what is really important and what is the nice to complete. Mm. And everyone can spend hours and hours talking things through, but we've got to this point where you can hide in a meeting and you can hide behind a busy calendar. And I think actually we need to step away from that and have better goal setting and I think that's something that a lot of people need help with I'd love to ask you what your aha aha moment was when you were putting together or exploring building something that was going to help hundreds if not thousands of people Um, it was really very simply the power of the conversation and you think that this is all around having fields called objective or key result or KPI or initiative or whatever you're doing, whatever task, whatever your the inputs are. And actually all of those are completely irrelevant unless they're, they've been both shaped by conversation and they're c- continuing to be part of a conversation. So the software real, real magic moment was understanding that the it's not just the recipient of structured data in terms of the input it's the thing that's on screen when people are having com- the most important conversations that the company will ever have both whether that's quarterly planning and deciding what our priorities are that align with strategy or what the company requires whether that's cross collaboration between sales and marketing or product and customer success and other sort of typical collaborations but you know it's really down to that 
idea that the agenda that drives progress are the things that we are driven through these really rich conversations where people feel in a safe place to say what needs to be said, to share their ideas, to disagree, to problem solve, to innovate, to share ideas. And I think your passion, which is culture, really leads into that, which is, again, software is just a recipient of conversations and thinking. And we can do a lot in terms of things like, you mentioned notifications and alerts and making sure people put all those inputs in. But ultimately, we can't control the manager that might be controlling in a meeting that might allow no one else to speak. The flip side is you want to facilitate open, transparent, psychologically safe behaviors inside meetings where people are obviously sharing their best ideas, obviously disagreeing where necessary. And the deeper you get into the weeds in this, which is that if conversations are the accelerator moment and having the right ones, culture is a facilitator of also is also a facilitator of conversation. It can either kill it or make it. Very true. Very true. Was there something in your past or your co-founder's past that gave you the the inspiration to push forward with this? Or that I'm sick of doing this or I'm, I'm sick of seeing people struggle with, with X or Y? Was there something that you, that either of you drew upon to say the world needs this? I've seen over a decade businesses and my own businesses characterized not just by the conversations that are happening but the conversations that are obviously not happening so for example a department that is under resourced but never but just does the best they can but never has the conversation around what you could do if you were optimally resourced or right sized so just so you know this perpetual downward spiral of this there's suboptimal performance is happening because you're not having the conversation around resource planning priorities and what growth could look like. I've seen that firsthand. I've seen teams work on vanity projects that were way more fun than what they needed to be do needed to do because they weren't connected to metrics and outcomes and with accountability for those. And I think as a human, we will have a bias towards working on what we like doing, not necessarily what we need to do. So there needs to be some checksums in terms of systems that would police that kind of stuff. I've seen boards talk about the wrong things month on month because there was no agenda for the right things and no structure for that. And there's a game that plays out there. So whether it's right at the operational level, having a human bias towards what we like doing, not what we need to be doing, whether it's departmental and just suffering quietly, or whether it's at the board, just there's some, obviously a lot of politics goes on up there where, but if you're sitting there thinking we're not having the right conversation, then I think there's all kinds of things that can just perpetuate from that, which none of which are good but all anchors in, are we having the right conversations? Something you said around uh, having the right conversations and each different level of an organisation, whether you believe you're flat structured or you're hierarchical, there's always a different conversation that happens. It's very often that they don't connect in. And I remember some years ago having to pitch for tasks for more money to get investment so we could get X return and grow at an accelerated rate. And essentially they said no and you knew it was going to be a no and it was just because they had their conversations week on week probably for months and not actually told the leadership team of this business that I looked in that they wouldn't they weren't going to invest any more money and we had to basically 
bootstrap harder and knuckle knuckle down belt into the hard and fast corner that, that's going to go against us. And that's something that a lot of people have forgotten. And we talk so much in in on meeting rooms, in boardrooms, in in leadership meetings. And because we talk to the nth degree, and we don't really communicate well enough outside of those rooms, it, then disinformation, misinformation tends to happen, and people tend to believe gossip as opposed to what's happened because of just a poor communication chain. Do you think what you're doing and the software that you're rolling out is going to help reduce some of that sort of gossip and friction and, and help connect the the most senior to the to the least junior or the most junior? No, it's, if you take just the goal-setting framework as one element of what we do, OKR is that idea goal-setting is democratised a bit more than it is versus the top-down even C-suite into departments, these are your goals, this is the budget we've committed to this year, go away and do it, is still remarkably common. Yet the ability for people to participate in goal setting, decide on what outcomes matter or what things matter in any one quarter. When you, when I'm talking to companies and they, you ask them what are the biggest opportunities or challenges you're facing over the next quarter and if you could prioritise something, what would it be? Nine times out of ten, it would be different to what the senior leadership would have prioritized because they're not on the ground. And I think organizations are complex animals. You, as a, you might think, no matter how you know you're, how controlling you are as a senior leader, you cannot know everything. You cannot mm. have universal knowledge of everything that's going on. And if you don't tap into those people with their expertise and their sight on what really matters and you don't have a system for that then you're going to miss out on really the talent that's driving your business and you'll probably lose the talent that's driving your business too everybody wants to have some level of input into what deciding what really matters they're also then more likely to be engaged with the challenge of achieving what really matters and it makes work make sense and i think there's an enormous amount of research out there saying that people don't really feel know what the company's trying to do, how it's doing it. They don't really know what, what, how they're contributing on a week-to-week basis beyond being busy. And I think that disconnecting even the lowest level from why they're coming to work and what they're trying to achieve. Um, when you're set, you know, just laughing, saying that out loud, which is, it sounds so ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? Yet most people do that. And it's bonkers. So the idea that you could just make the workplace better from the ground up as well as the top down is highly motivating for us here. But for any company, why wouldn't you want to make work great for people? It's easy for us to say this because we've both been from the bottom to the top, but everyone wants to understand what's going on and they want to know how to be successful. It's very difficult when you're in the mud, you know, getting your hands dirty fighting every day to be able to take that step away and being able to give people the the opportunity to know and plan for it like quarterly planning annual planning is such a misdemeanor for people because if you've not been in it you think it's the greatest thing in the world but when you're in it it's one of the most tiring stressful combative environments that you can be in and actually it can be so demoralizing for some people that, that that join it and they're not onboarded properly to the process that's something that you know as a manager was i've said this a few times in recording the podcast series as a manager you can't be 100 truthful and that that can be could be a real challenge yeah. for people but i guess in our case software might 
in time might be giving people more headspace, might be might enable people to take a step back and say, is this really the priority of today? Is this something that we should be doing? Is there a better way of doing it almost? Do you think that you've got, that you can help people with that? I think the idea of headspace is really interesting. There's obviously a cadence there, whether that's a weekly cadence, monthly, quarterly, annual planning cadences. And I think they really help because they create the right forums and the right conversations again. But I also think what we haven't touched on is probably one of the aims of making an organization more agile, making everything more transparent, becoming better at things like goal setting is empowerment and trust. And Mm -hmm. if you are achieving that, then you know that you should be having fewer meetings you should be more productive you should be able to work more autonomously it doesn't mean there aren't check-ins and i think one of the one of the things that we talk a little bit about is this idea that you know you're just because you're not catching up every every few hours and having sight of everything going on doesn't mean you're out of control and one of the things about the software is it creates a level of transparency around things like progress confidence levels things that are holding you back wins that means that cuts out a lot of the meetings because people you go well, what are you mostly talking about in all these meetings that are filling your diary it's general mm-hmm. what are you up to at the moment how's it going meetings you don't really need those other as nearly as much they're more they become more executional not status update meetings and those status up meetings are part status update meetings are part of a cadence and there is an agenda for those they are short punchy and then you just get on with doing stuff. And something that's been obvious to me for a very long time is that setting a goal is really powerful, but it's only the only doing and productivity that achieves it. And ultimately, we want to reduce meetings so to allow more time for execution. We want people to feel more engaged with the output and, and give their discretionary effort and, and drive towards those because they feel excited. And many other levers that are part of that if we can play a part in that and help support that, then you know we're really proud to be trying to systemize that and improving a workplace, and which then rolls up into revenue, employee retention, MPS. The customer ultimately benefits. You've got this section in in the tool that basically gets feedback from like informal one to ones, essentially, or formal one to ones, where people can add the feedback loop into it and they can say how they feel or. Or how they're doing? Do you want to give people a, like a teaser on that? Because I think that's where what will connect many people to software. There's, a, there's, a, there's various surveying capabilities within the tool that were really driven through um, the sort of COVID problem. So the first one was part of the check-in, which normally happens weekly, where people share progress, confidence, what what's holding them back, what's going well, and other sort of inputs related to that. But that seemed, that was an obvious opportunity to ask people, are you feeling anxious, stressed, connected, disconnected, et cetera? So a lot of well-being type stuff, which has actually, you know, pleasantly really helped a lot of companies catch people when they were struggling. And again, you have to have the right culture and it has to be okay to say you're not okay in your culture to make all of this work and you've got to be able to catch people properly if they are falling but it wasn't a reason not to do the feature which has turned out to be really good the the other part of the surveying that we can do that has proven to be really quite interesting is something called a, a, a roti survey return on time invested of a meeting and what you find, or not surprisingly, is often we sit in meetings that aren't particularly useful, whether that's their poorly structured, bad agendas, 
not having the right conversations and other sort of symptomatic problems. That ability to, at the end of a structured meeting, just ping out a roti survey and go, was that a good meeting? And then to throw it back to the team, which is, well, if that wasn't a good meeting, what does a good meeting look like? Back to that idea of the power of conversations. A lot of people end up having to rely on quarterly check-ins, monthly check-ins. They do the people formalize one-to-ones as in they do it every week or most weeks. And one of my bugbearers is people that nudge it and they know that the time's in there and it becomes this sort of place where you just do it because it's a tick box exercise as opposed to something that you really get into and understand what's going on and how we can help. And one way that I think teams can be more proactive with it is having collective meetings where they where they talk around their challenges and their wins. And that what that's what really stood out to me with with the mission that you guys are on is is being able to either formalize it or being able to give people a way to give feedback. And it's at the beginning or end of the week or end of the meeting. It provides people with an option, a framework to follow when often managers aren't trained. They're just very often they're the best person at that job and they need to give them something. You know, and often that's a promotion or a manager title. Very often managers are so busy that they don't necessarily see it, even if it's proximity uh, bias when they're all around the same table, whether it's virtual. And digital gestures got misunderstood in, in lockdowns and quarantines, etc. And this is what's going to be so fascinating hybrid, is how do you standardise one team, not an A team and a B team? And I think what you guys are doing with the tools are really going to help that. Yeah, I think having some commonality across a company and in, in the way we want to approach management is, is a good thing. I think there's a there's a lot of every team does it their own way with their own tools, their own systems, their own processes. And that's good for some things. There are some things where you want to standardize. And I think your point around the recently promoted manager that's probably, you know, may or may not have been the recipient of working with a good manager previously in terms of being mentored or not might that you're you're thrown in at the deep end and you're having to learn fast yet that's that learning curve is steep does take time doesn't mean you've automatically got it and i think if there were you know if there are some very simple systems that can make sure that those people are having the right conversations they're focusing on the right things they're struck all of that and capturing it in a way that means that people feel seen and heard that's a very good start because if you when you're looking when you look at the research around what makes people feel that they're you know unhappy with their manager mostly it's around being seen and heard and having mm. time to talk around the things that matter that can be systemized and you also can create a permanent record that those conversations have happened and the outcomes what did you learn another frustration point people have is the annual appraisal where people are asked to cast their mind back to 10 months ago and you can't exactly. do it so having a, a a trail of, we've had these conversations, this is what was decided, these were the decisions, these were your wins throughout the year, this is the challenges you had, this is how we were feeling. It suddenly becomes something that's more complete and fairer. It doesn't mean it's foolproof, but it just means that actually we're not asking people to cast their mind by 10 months. And maybe that conversation is more structured, more real, more complete. And I think you have less complaints and you can make sure and it's there to support the manager, not as a as well as the employee. We want who wants to be a bad manager? You know, none of us want to be bad managers. We all want to play a part in developing people's careers. We all want to be liked because we're human. We all want to 
be able to just be that, that idea that your favorite teacher, you remember them because they inspired you in some way to be better than you thought you could be. Why not be that manager? And that comes through, the, again, the power of conversation, which sounds repetitive, but it's true. There's no, no way that you can be a good manager without having conversations. The best managers and teachers to that point, they ever let you go away and get on with it, if they, you know, and often that's trust-based. Or they come up to you and they, they inspire you or they nudge you in the right way or say, have you thought of this could work? Or how about we break this down? Or how about we, we help prioritize this? And it's just the, the little moments, the, the infrequent moments that you might have to between people are the times that stand out the most once you get to a certain point and you look backwards in your career. I can tell you, I did this exercise with, with a team recently. I asked them to give me a, a list of three good managers and as many bad managers as they like. And the bad managers outweigh the good managers literally about 10 to 1. Yeah. So, um, and the reason why that is, is they can tell you, and it's micromanagement, it's time management, it's never been available when they need them. It's been too hands-on, sometimes too hands-off. Equally, some people demand a micromanager, and that's really interesting. I think that's actually come to the forefront in the last year. Have you got like a tip, one piece of advice that you'd give people? Like, What's your best piece of advice you can give people in improving the workplace with or without software? We try to achieve too much too broadly. We're not specific around what we're trying to do and how we would measure success. It's whether the essence of strategy is priority. The essence of goal setting is priority. The essence of what we need to achieve in a week is priority. If you can cascade the idea of priority literally from the highest level of planning to the lowest and keep conversations powering through that and the only way you can know what a priority is by having a conversation whether that's across teams or in teams and so i think that ruthless attention to that means by default you're also creating a system where you can put stuff down and i think it's as much around putting things down and not making it a top priority as it is making it clear that's not as it is making something a priority and then it makes a lot of things make sense to people as well, which is sometimes if you're at a lower level in an org and rising, you kind of decisions are made that make no sense to you. But if you knew why it made you know, that decision was made and why that's the priority and how that would connect up, then actually it provides more meaning to work as well. I think you nailed strategy in one word, which is priorities, like prioritization. If so many people think strategy is tactics and it's a shopping list of things you've got to do and got to get. It's not, it's prioritization and being ruthless in, in understanding what you should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, a, a riff off your piece of advice is actually that I recommend people to fill out a, a decision document that's open to everyone. So if there's key decisions made within a business, it should be an open document or s stored on a system or you know an internal wiki like Notion or Confluence. And essentially every decision, major decision has a date, what the decision was and why you got there and how do you question it if you need more information. And having rolled it out quite a few times, people will, will naturally question some of the decisions, but it enables better conversations. Yeah. And it stops the gossiping, it stops the fear mongering that happens as well within orgs. And that's a manager issue, that's a leadership issue, that's a you know, an ELT or S team or whatever the new trendy acronym is for a leadership team is if you can, you can be transparent on it and show them 
how and the logic people will, will get there by themselves and they'll dive into it. Do you have three simple tips that you've learned from your software and implementing this over the last few years into actually being able to roll stuff out really quickly? Just simple things, three simple right. things. That yeah, you know. I think, you know, lead from, commit is the first thing. You can't be half pregnant with any of this type of stuff. So you once you decide to do it, you've got to be in all in patient. You can't change people's behaviors and habits and culture in a week. It takes months and quarters. So you, but that's part of that sort of rolls up into the commitment. And I think learning the right way, whether that's through coaching or any means you can, there are lots of examples of all the systems and processes that we've been discussing that are used in name only and not, they're not real. Just because you've got this thing called, for example, an objective and a key result doesn't mean it's a very good objective and a key result. Or, but you you would think that you're using OKRs, and we see lots of poor implementations of various of all kinds of systems. Whether that's how you run meetings, how that's run, how you are agile, how you set goals, how you set strategies. You mentioned strategy being often poorly defined. You can, but you would say you've got a strategy. So I think doing things the right way would be the third thing, and that comes through knowledge, experience, all of which are in the greater scheme of things really inexpensive versus the opportunity cost of getting it wrong or the growth that you will get from getting it. So it's, you know, the best money you can spend is probably on those three things, which is learning the right ways with the right people alongside you, committing completely, giving you and giving yourself some time to get there. But all of those things pay off and the, the case studies that prove that are all around the internet. It's not an if it works, it works. You just need to do it. One thing you said, is around strategy and there should be one strategy and then across the company and then plans of action or action plans in departments that connect up. That's one tip I'd give people is if people say a department strategy or, or team strategy, which is even worse, you don't have a strategy. You have a number of different conflicting stories that need to be sewn together. I'd love to finish with some quick fire questions if you're up for yeah, it. Go. Cool. What's one book you recommend to read and why? Can be work yeah, or life I would or love go for or something like the procrastination equation. That's I'm fascinated by productivity and what stops us from doing what really matters and what we should be doing. Especially quick fire. I would love to dive into that one, but let's quick carry on the quick fire. Is there one podcast that you'd recommend people to listen to? I'm really boring and that I don't get much time to listen to or read to very much at the moment, but I, I quite enjoy Joe Rogan because we aligned on lots of the things we like to talk about. I'm sure you'd be a fascinating guest on Joe Rogan. Is there uh, one newsletter or one article that you would recommend anyone to subscribe to? Um, this is going to sound really... I've been reading yours and they're really good. Am I allowed to say that? Thanks. Yours. Of course. I'll give you the, the backhander shortly. Is there one video that's sort of changed the way that you think recently? Amy Edmondson's work, every time she talks about psychological safety, whether that's on a YouTube or a TED Talk, if you haven't seen them, go and watch those videos because it's so deeply insightful and it, it, it overlaps with culture, goal setting, team dynamics and all of those things. So if you're going to go and watch a video go and check, that relates to the stuff we've been talking about, go and check her out. Perfect example. That's If you are part of any C-suite, I guarantee you've had to watch that video more recently. And is there something that's happened to you recently that's made you cement the idea that you're fixing the broken world of work um we obviously get involved with various projects and onboarding calls as well as sales calls and as part of that you get people to imagine where they're going to be in 12 months time 
And what you realize is there's commonality in all of that. We're all suffering with the same things. We're all feeling that we're not in always in control of our working days or weeks and that, that all comes back to priorities. So I think I would, that, that's where I would say we need to be. Thanks so much for today, Matt. Is there places people should go, read your stuff, sign up for Yeah, you? there's loads of content I write on Zocri.com. I'm increasingly writing on the wider web but when I get time, but uh, connect on LinkedIn if you want to as well. Always happy to talk this stuff through with anybody. It's a, you know, it's a great passion and we can make the workplaces slightly better than this. That's no reason. That's a great reason to get up every day, isn't it? Exactly. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Fixing the Broken World of Work podcast today. Make sure you hit follow in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. Don't forget to click the show notes and to connect to the podcast guests. You can find out more about how we're fixing the broken world of work at Focus at focus.business or just search for me, Danny Denhard.